couldn't really think of what I wanted to specialize in. And so I kept asking myself, what do you really love? What do you really love? And I realized it went back from before I started acupuncture school. I studied with an herbalist and I completely fell in love with the herbs. Hi, I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that connects the voices of our Chinese medicine to ourselves. Hey, you know, it seems to me that this work we have, this job we have of helping others with their health, with healing, healing, it's a curious thing. It's even stranger work. Honestly, I thought by this point, I'd understand a lot more than I do, but it seems that any understanding that I gain is accompanied by more questions, hopefully better, more interesting questions. And here's a question I hear from my patients. You might hear this from your patients as well. You walk into the room and there's a deeper sense of stillness. Then as the patient begins to reorient to the outer world, they ask, what did you do? But usually I think what they really mean is what just happened inside of me? And they think, we made it happen. Increasingly though, I don't think it has so much to do with us as it has to do with them. But more about this in a minute. It seems to me that one of the fundamental differences between conventional medicine and East Asian medicine is that conventional medicine has a deep distrust of the body. This might in part stem from Western culture's deep bias toward viewing the body as flawed, born in sin and somehow ever in need of redemption. Modern medicine, it looks to find the problem and then fix it. Or better yet, for the bottom line, control the bothersome symptoms with a daily dose of something. We've been taught to see the body as undependable and see it as broken, that something from the inside is needed to set it right on the inside. But the East Asian medicine that we practice, it sees it differently. We see the jung, the upright, as well as the xie, the pathogenic. And we know from our practice that attending to what is right can in turn take care of what is not. And in particular with acupuncture, other than needles, we put nothing into the body. Which brings me back to the comments from patients when they ask, what did you put on those needles? Or... I've not felt like this in years. How long will it last? They're inquiring from a paradigm that places the locus of healing outside of themselves. They think that only something from the outside can fix the inside, that it's the doctor or the practitioner that's making the change happen. And while our presence is part of the equation, it really is something that is reawakened within the patient that brings the deep calm of coherence in the healing that unfolds from a connection to this deep, deep sense of embodiment. I am often asked, how long will I feel like this? And I used to answer, well, I don't know, as I thought it was something that I was doing with the acupuncture. And if I could do it better, or if I could do it more frequently, it would be more helpful. But these days, I tell my patients, I don't know how long this will last. And it really doesn't matter. Because what they're feeling is something that arises from within them. The acupuncture can bring it out. 
But if it wasn't already inside of them in some way, even though it's laying latent or dormant, then they would not be feeling it the way that they do at this moment in time. That reframe of the potential for well-being being located inside of them is a surprising revelation for many. That they have access to those internal states, that they themselves can shift their physiology in their psychoemotive state is completely foreign to those who have watched countless hours of advertisements that offer well-being in a chemical package. Or that a change in their state of health comes not from a practitioner, but actually from their own internal resources. Now, us practitioners being human, we want to feel like our treatments make a difference in our patients' lives. And we are indeed part of that process. Our presence is required. Our attention to details that can invite latent aspects of our patients to come forth, it's essential to the process. But the actual healing, this, I suspect, our patients get the credit for that. You know, it's a funny job we have, this air quotes, doing, this doing that we bring so much attention, study, and care to. And yet, in the end, it's our patients that do the work. And I suspect that if we do our work really well, our patients may not even remember they had a problem. But, hey, I want to tell you about a couple upcoming events that Sheological is involved with. March the 9th, the Shenlong Society will be hosting its one-day conference in New York City. Speakers at this event bridge the world of old-school herbal medicine with speakers like Arnova Sluice and modern applications of herbal medicine in the Western Integrated Clinic with Gayla Rufiner. Also, special guest appearance here, Dr. Yu Guojun, author of A Walk Along the River, will not only be at the conference, but presenting a one-day class the following day on Ministerial Fire. For details, go visit the ShenlongSociety.org website. Also, another upcoming event is the Love Your Practice Conference, which will be held in Santa Monica, February 10 and 11. Different models of practice will be explored, and it's a good opportunity to show the business side of your practice and love. Our friends over at LASA are the motivating force behind this, and Geological will be there as well. Go check out the website for more details. You know, this podcast universe, it's huge, and it's getting bigger every day. You've got so many different podcasts that you can listen to. Really, it's almost an infinite table of possibility. So I want to thank you for tuning in here at Geological, and I hope that you find your time here as well spent. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can sign up to be a Chia Logician over on the Geological website. Now, there's some special podcasts in store for supporters of the show. The latest is a conversation between Margot Rossi and Nick Pohl, two guests of the show. They dig into the use of language and connection in the service of healing. And for all y'alls that have been tinkering with the Sa'am system, look for another hour of questions and answers with Toby coming up in the very, very near future. Pop on over to Geological website for more details on that. Thanks as ever to the sponsors of this show. They make it possible. Today, the podcast comes to you through the help and support of Mayway Herbs and Lhasa OMS. Founded way back in 1979, Lhasa OMS is the largest supplier of acupuncture needles and supplies in the United States. As the exclusive importer of the most popular acupuncture needle brands, Sarin and DBC, 
Lhasa OMS offers unbeatable prices, unmatched service, and unrivaled selection. Lhasa OMS has a strong commitment to practitioner education and development. Check out their blog for articles that will help you in your clinical practice with everything from clinical techniques to how acupuncturists are responding to disasters and emergencies, to dosing CBD, to growing your practice with proven methods in our digital age. In addition to their support at Geological, LASA OMS hosts webinars, and what's great about those is they do it after clinical hours, so you can tune in after you've finished your busy clinical day. Sign up for their mailing list if you've not already done so, because they've got all kinds of good deals that will pop up from time to time. You'll want to know about those in a timely fashion. LASA OMS. Supporting your practice and our community with a wide variety of tools and resources for your practice. We are about to hear Sally Rappaport talk about the Shen Society, for whom Meiwei is a proud sponsor because we're passionate about herbs and herbal education. I'm Dr. Sky Sturgeon. When I began my study of Chinese medicine 28 years ago, I knew that I was beginning a lifelong study. Throughout my career, I have focused on providing my patients with high-quality herbs. Because of my background in biochemistry and toxicology, I ended up becoming Mayway's Quality Assurance Manager. At the break, I'll tell you a story about herb quality and how I ended up in this job. Hey friends, welcome back to Geological. My guest today is a longtime acupuncturist from the New York area. She really, I mean really, loves herbal medicine. So much so that she basically started a conference that specifically focuses on some of the older currents of herbology. Being a bit of an herb geek myself, I am really looking forward to this conversation with Sally Rappaport. Sally, welcome to Geological. Thank you so much. Nice to have you here. Yes, it's great to be here. You're a busy acupuncturist, right? I mean, you got a busy life. Yes. Why bother doing a conference? I mean, isn't that kind of a bunch of hassle and trouble and sleepless nights? What what inspired you to do this? Tell us about what you're up to. You know, I really never was the person to take something like this on. I really loved having my little practice in Brooklyn, and I was very happy just being that way. I think what I realized over time, working by myself, one feels somewhat isolated. So I think that was part of it. Also, I had brunch with Jean Gablet, who runs the High Falls Foundation, which is involved with growing Chinese herbs sustainably in the United States. I was saying, you know, we really need to have a conference. We really need to get herbalists together to find out more about what you're doing and to be communicating more. And initially, I was going to totally focus it on people who were really looking at the classics. But then I saw something about the more of the conflict between some TCM people and people who are teaching or working with classical herbal formulas. I decided that that was a bad idea, that I wanted to bring people together. I didn't want to divide the community. And I felt like that was very important. 
I got this idea and I started reaching out to people. Do you think this is a good idea? And I got positive feedback 100%. It was just kind of amazing to me. And it took off from there. I mean, in some ways, I started the podcast for the same reason. I felt pretty isolated. I mean, I love my practice, but I was feeling isolated. So you're looking around and going, well, you know, what we really need is some kind of a conference like this. Someone should do that. Oh, maybe it's me. Right, exactly. I reached out to people. I did one of those survey monkeys uh, to a whole bunch of people I knew and in the community around the country, and I got really good feedback. And then I was speaking further with a few people, and they were like, you should really start an organization. We need, there's no organization for people who are focused on herbs. And I I just said, but what about this group? And what about that group? And when I did the research, I realized that there's a couple of herb committees that are part of the national acupuncture organizations, but they have no mandate to communicate with practitioners. There's the American Herbal Products Association, which is more commercial. You know, it's the, the distributors. They have a Chinese herb committee. But we really are not well represented in a professional capacity. And so there really is a need for a group like the Shenong Society. And then again, it was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to try to do this. But I am. (laughs) Sort of like Luke Skywalker, right? No, not me. Oh, yes, you. (laughs) Kind of, yes. But I do have amazing help. Caroline Radice, who's an incredible teacher and practitioner in New York, uh, has been my right-hand person. She's incredible. And Marnie Ergill, who also practices upstate, has joined us. So the three of us are really doing this. And truthfully, I've organized events before. It's a lot of work, but there's a bunch of tasks and you just make your list and you check them off and you get it done. So really what we've got here, not just a conference, but an organization behind it. Tell us more about Shenong and why herbalists should know about you. I mean, what is it that you've got to offer here that that the other organizations don't have? Sounds like you found a very specific niche for yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really for us as a community of East Asian herbal medicine practitioners. Mostly right now, we focused on the conference. I hope at some point to be more involved in some of the work that APA has done in terms of like the white paper on dispensary guidelines that just came out over the last couple of years. Who's APA? It's the American Herbal Products Association. So mostly that is made up of distributors of herbal products. APA itself has a Chinese herb committee that Bill Egloff, who runs Crane Herbs, uh, is the chair of that committee. He and several people, some of whom are practitioners, came up with these guidelines that came out of FDA rulings from a decade ago that basically state loosely that we should be moderating ourselves 
as a profession in terms of the safety of what we're doing. Sort of self-policing. You guys look after your own. Exactly. And I think if there would be adverse events, then maybe they would take over more if we weren't taking care of things ourselves. They took this on because there's not exactly anyone else to take it on. As a professional organization, we would be more involved in the next steps. I mean, that was kind of a 10-year process, and we came on at the end of it. We've distributed the guidelines through our website. But those are the kinds of things that we should be doing ourselves as a profession. And what's happening with that, recently the NCCAOM has established a new competency for that go along with these guidelines. So there will be a certificate that you can get eventually after taking a course through the NCCAOM. I can tell you all this kind of bureaucratic stuff. That's not my love. My love is classical herbs. Now, the bureaucratic stuff, it sounds like you've got information about it. You've got the guidelines. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's information on the Shendong website. If people want that, go to the website. We'll put the information in the show notes page. They can go get it. That's what we're trying to be in part, exactly, is a place where people can go to get information. And it's just, that's kind of starting to happen. People are sending me queries when they don't know about something and they want to get an answer. Maybe Sally knows, you know, because of Shenong. And I really appreciate being able to be that person. I think it's really important for us professionally. There's so many issues, herb quality issues, safety issues, all kinds of things that we need to take more responsibility for professionally. So I'm hearing two things. One is you're really working on the nuts and bolts. Just the the everyday things that we need to pay attention to as practitioners, as business people, as professionals, because if we don't pay attention to it and something bad happens, then something bad is going to happen to all of us. So it, it sounds like you're taking care of that piece. At the same time, you know, you're so deeply in love with the medicine, you're you're looking to uh, enhance that piece and help with education around those issues. Exactly. So in terms of that, that's really more the focus of the conference and uh, bringing people in that may not be as well known. Some people are really well known, but the new practitioners coming up may have not had an opportunity to study with them. This coming conference, we're going to have Dr. Yu will be there and Arnaud Versly. So I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Yu's book, A Walk Along the River, that just came out this past year. Quite familiar with it. I think it's episode three of Geological. In the the original launch, I had a nice conversation with Michael Fitzgerald, one of the translators of that fantastic, fun, and interesting book. I don't know about you. I, I mean, I really love reading Chinese medicine, but sometimes it's dry and boring as hell. I mean, it's interesting, but it's dry. Yes. Not that book. No, it, that book is so, uh, it's revelatory and it is just such a treat to read and have so many nuggets of wonderful information. What are some of your favorite parts from that book? Is there anything in particular that stands out to you? 
that uh, that you find yourself using in practice? I have used, um, he talks about for chronic lung conditions, using large dosages of Zawan and Xianherzal. Uh, now, I never would have thought of using Xianherzal for lung conditions. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew about that herb until I read it. Oh, okay. Well, I knew it as a stop bleeding herb. I've used it for like menopausal bleeding a lot. But for lung, I never would have used it that way. And I've used it with a few people and it's been, it seems the combination seems to be really helpful. Yeah, I, I think I need to go back and, and reread it. Not just for the specifics of what to use, but because there's these three doctors, right? There's doctor like, you know, A, B, and C. They're sort of, I mean, they're practitioners, but they're also students of his. And so he'll explain something and then one of the docs will have a question. You know, and there's like the really smart doc and there's a the clever doc and there's a the kind of, you know, not so bright doc, kind of like me. <laughs> and it's great because it's the kind of questions that we would be asking had we exactly. been sitting in there, right? Yes, it's so fantastic um, how he's able to, you know, just then take off on this explanation that clarifies so many ideas from the classics, from his experience. And he has these just little nuanced experiential formulas that are based on the classics that are really, really helpful, I think. So he's incredibly clinically experienced in this way that's so useful for people in the West, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah people in China, too, for that matter. Right. And he will also teach in New York uh, a one-day class. The conference is on Saturday, and then he'll teach an all-day class on Sunday. So, I mean, you probably have your super secret ways of doing things. If, if, you, if you can't tell the tale without people having to be silenced, how did you manage to get that cat to come to the United States? All right. Well, it was through Michael Fitzgerald, and... And I have a key partner, very lovely, wonderful partner, Sharon Weisenbaum. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you know her work as well. She likes to bring people up to White Pine Institute in Massachusetts. And she asked, we had, I think we, we had invited Sharon, the Shenong Society invited Sharon to do a review of the book. So we have her review posted on the website also. And then she asked, would we be interested in having him come to the conference? And so she was the one that actually contacted Michael first. But uh, we've been negotiating or, you know, we worked things out with through Michael with Dr. Yu. And it's been lovely. So it's all a little family, I guess. A lovely family. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is sort of how things get done. Will he be doing any other clinic? you know, clinical classes or doing any other teaching while he's here in the States? I mean, it seems like a long way to go for just a, a couple of classes. Yes, he's going to be, so he'll be at our conference, then he'll do an all-day class the following day, and then he's going up to Amherst for a three-day class at White Pine. We haven't completely firmed up the topics yet, but I think for the conference, he's going to talk about Wumewan. Ah, Great. Yes. And for the one day class, I believe he's going to be talking about ministerial fire. 
both clinically and theoretically. So I'm really excited about that. Up in uh, Massachusetts, I think he's going to be talking about his 10 favorite, for his 10 like most used 10 favorite formulas, as well as a couple of other things. Sounds like if you really want to get some of Dr. Yu, then uh, take a week off and go visit the East Coast. We will live stream everything. Fantastic. Yes. Maybe we could so, podcast some of it too. That would be fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Actually, I'd love to get him on for a podcast interview. Oh, that could be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had Dr. Huang on a couple of weeks ago. I was in Nanjing recently and we did a show. And as I was editing it, I realized, holy smokes, I've actually got two shows here. I've got one that we can edit in English for the English speakers and one that I can edit down into Chinese for our Chinese friends. That's fantastic. When is this uh, whole shindig happening? So the Shenong Conference is March 9th, 2019. Uh, Dr. Yu's class in New York will be uh, March 10th. And then the following weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he will be up in Amherst. So which Shenong Conference is this? How many have you done so far? This is will be the third one. Number three. Yeah. So last year, uh, Craig Mitchell spoke and uh, Cara Frank. Was Sabina there? Yeah, Sabine, of course. Sabina yeah, yeah, there. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious to know what some of your other favorite resources are for learning herbal medicine and for taking your knowledge and, and taking it deeper. I'm not a translator. I don't have that talent like you do. So I am using translations and I definitely like to open all my books on my table and study between translations. Also, I do that to prep for teaching and that kind of thing. I tend to go back to the translations of the Shang Hanlun, the Jingwei Yahweh, and there are a few main translations of those books that I use. I also use case studies when I can. The other thing about Dr. Yu is they're supposed to come out with a second volume. Mm -hmm. I, did you know about that? I wasn't I, sure. I, I have, uh, I've heard that, yes. Yes, so I'm very excited. That's supposed to come out before the conference. I hope that it does. Besides that, online, I like the translations like the Chinese Medicine Database. They do great work. Are there any groups that you find yourself participating in that you find to be helpful? Yes, I've studied a lot with uh, Dr. Feng Shirlin and Suzanne Robidoux. So I do participate a little bit in the Feng Shirlin Facebook group. You know, they're really interesting cases people present. And I like delving into those really complex cases because that's what we see in clinic that we have to deal with every day. So true. I, you know, on occasion, someone comes in and they look really textbook. And I always have to check myself. It's like, am I lazy here? Am I missing something? How could they look exactly like Bujong Yi Tang? That, you know, how often do you see that? Right, exactly. And so you check in with all those different resources to try to find new uses for those formulas that you hadn't thought about before and all those kinds of things. So the Feng Shui Lun stuff is really interesting. I've read a little bit of his teachers work, uh, Dr. Hu Shishu. 
they've just got a whole different sort of stance and, and glimpse into the six confirmations and into how you use herbs and how illnesses can sort of straddle different levels. Can you give us, you know, 35,000 foot view of the Feng Shui Lun perspective and how it differs from, say, your basic TCM? It's vastly different from TCM. It's really focusing only on the three le- on the six levels, really six confirmations. I don't like to call them levels. It's about seeing and it's about knowing the text, knowing the Shang Hanlun text. You really you're really seeing what the symptoms are. And because they have Dr. Feng Shulun looks at everything with these very, very clear parameters. Every kind of symptom can be placed into one of the confirmations. And they're paired. So you have Taiyang paired with Shaoyin. And the half exterior, half interior is, is Shaoyang and Zhuiyin. Uh, and the interior is Yang Ming and Taiyin. And so you can have a three-in pattern with Xiaoyang or a three-in pattern with Yang Ming, but the symptoms are so specific. Anytime when you have heat with a patient with heat, with sweating, with uh, insomnia, there's going to be some kind of Yang Ming component there most likely. Now, sometimes it's tricky, and that could be Zhuiyin pattern, uh, because you're having heat above if there's cold below. I also kind of bring in a lot of what Sharon Weisenbaum talks about in terms of Zhuiyin with being about cold blood. And Zhuiyin patterns are very, very much about the blood. And Dr. Feng Shulun does that a little bit, but not as much as Sharon Weisenbaum. So I find that incredibly helpful. And one of the other things that's very specific, I think, to, to the Feng Shulun kind of method, this type of Jing Fang practice, is that anytime there's joint pain, you have to decide whether it's it's always exterior and it's either Taiyang or Xiaoyan. Hi, it's Sky from Meiwei. Years ago, I was ordering Zitzau and expected to get Arnebia. Instead, I received Potentilla. The herb company insisted that it was Zitzau and I knew that it wasn't. I began wondering how this could happen. What would have happened to my patients if I hadn't known the difference? Over the years, I began to learn more about species identification and other quality issues such as heavy metals, pesticides, and bacterial contamination. I decided to make quality assurance my focus. How can you avoid wrong species and poor quality? One way is to buy from companies like Meiwei that focus on quality and use the Chinese pharmacopoeia and conduct the lab testing necessary to ensure the highest quality herbs are made available to herbal practitioners in the United States. Always ask for a certificate of analysis from your supplier. Educate yourself further by checking out the many articles ranging from quality to recipes 
to farming and legislation on Mayway.com. That's it. Always exterior. This is one of the things that I really enjoy about this system because it kind of it it takes the way that I used to think about herbs and gives it kind of a twist. Because originally I thought about tie-in as a yeah, it's a pretty inside phase, but it's actually the outside of the inside. Exactly. Whereas Taiyang is the outside of the outside. And so just thinking about something like, I'm sorry, Xiaoyan. Oh, Xiaoyan, yes. Xia, okay. Xia, yeah, Xiaoyan is the outside. Because I was thinking Taiyan, Taiyang, but it's, it's not Taiyan, Taiyang. It's Taiyang, no. Xiaoyan. Yes. Right. I mean, it's a little bit of a, a weird mind bubble for me. The outside of the inside. I mean, what the heck does that mean? Well, it sounds like one of the things it means in this case is if you're dealing with something like joint pain, these are exterior issues. Is it the very outside or the inside of the outside? Exactly. What would those formulas look like? How would they differ? If you have like neck pain, for instance, and chills and fever or um, chills and sweating, you might be using Guajir Jia Gurgentang. If there's no chills, but the person tends to like chills in terms of like when you wear, put on a blanket, you don't get warm. So it's very clearly an exterior pattern. Someone was like a patient walks in and they have a new neck pain. And you say, were you in an air conditioning draft? And then it's pretty obvious. It's a gugentong kind of pattern. If they're sweating, then it's a guajirja gugentong kind of pattern. On the other hand, if they have a more chronic neck pain, then it's very likely going to be more of a Shaoyin pattern, and you might use something like Guizhou Fuzatang. For the end, you might add some Qianghua or some Gugan, depending on other factors, to the formula. That's how I would use it. It sounds like if it's more of a Taiyang pattern, you're going to see some symptomology that's a little bit like the common cold. There might be some chills, there's some sensitivity to wind along with the pain. Whereas if you've got this more interior cold, you're not going to see the external symptoms of cold, like the chills, but you're going to have more of like a, a deep cold. Whereas with the Taiyang pattern, you're going to probably use more diphoretic herbs. With the Xiaoyin pattern, you are going to want to use more of the Futsa Rogue, maybe some Xixin. You, you want to warm the interior. Yeah. I'm not so sure I would use Rogue in that case, but certainly Fuzi, possibly Shishin. To some extent, the issues can be more chronic, but you could possibly have a uh, Taiyang condition that someone's had for years. Occasionally, I've seen that clinically. I'm sure you have too, that they've just carried these symptoms for years and years and years, but it really hasn't gone deeper. You know, this is this is such an interesting thing because uh, I'm thinking back to my basic training. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's Haiyang issue. Well, that should resolve pretty quickly. The idea of having something stuck in the exterior for a long period of time 
it, I mean, it just makes you think about things a little bit differently. Often we think about lurking pathogens. We think of them being deep inside the body, but they might actually not be that deep. They might not. I don't think so much in terms of the lurking pathogens, because if you're looking at the Shanghan Lun and the six confirmations, it's not about pathogens. Pathogens is a concept that came much later. And my view is that pathogen really is a Western medical concept. It's not Chinese medicine. So there's no real there's no real pathogens that we're seeing here. We're seeing how the body is presenting. Jueyin uh, is heat above and cold below. It's not about lurking pathogens. So, so let me ask you this, just to be devil's advocate. So something like xie qi, roughly translated as evil qi, how does that fit in? The six evils or the evil the xie qi. Those are how the body is responding to the environment. So you have the environment, you have heat. Is your body able to handle that or not? Does it allow the heat to create a response that, like, is that response a difficult response or is it a smooth response? So it's not about something coming in and in being evil, it's about the body not being able to adjust exactly. to a influence. It's, it's, it's about the body's response. Yes. So it's, it's really interesting for me right now. I'm studying with Edward Neal, who is more an aging acupuncture person. And the Function Learn stuff is completely separates itself from the Neijing. But I feel like the Neijing is also important, and also I'm an acupuncturist too. So I'm finding it really interesting to try to bring them all together. But the Neijing is, in fact, so clear that this medicine is about the relationship between the heavens and man and the earth, and the interconnections and the ways that these three entities work with each other and respond to one another. The idea of pathogens, the idea of evil chi as being a pathogen is a westernized concept of Chinese medicine. It's not really Chinese medicine. That's my understanding. I mean, if we inhabit that particular point of view, we stand in a very, very different universe. We do. It changes our relationship to the planet and to the universe. There's no question that it's incredibly difficult to wrap your mind around this thinking. You really have to shift your brain from conventional thinking. How have you, over the years, been able to shift your thinking, which it sounds like actually shifts your perception? Study, study, study. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought that I would be that person, but in fact, I have been that person with the books on my desk all spread out, trying to kind of get these concepts into my brain. And I'm not sure if there's another way to do it because the our culture has such a different way of thinking. 
So to really inhabit this, you have to just keep at it. Uh, I wish there was a simple way. But I also think, like, as in the Shenong society, we're very aware that we're probably going to be attractive to 20 to 30 percent of the licensed acupuncturists in this country. You know, everyone is not delving into herbal medicine, and that's okay. Everyone doesn't have to. You have to kind of really commit your life to it if you're going to do it. I'm really happy that that I've been able to create this platform for those 20 to 30% of practitioners to get together. Well, it sounds like you've sort of been scratching your own itch here. <laughs> and I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's a very good thing. I, yeah. I think it's a really good thing because the, the questions that are bothersome to us, the things that are challenges to us, they're probably challenges to someone else too. And the great thing about the challenges, well, I think there's a couple ways of dealing with them. Number one is, oh, that looks like a lot of trouble. Maybe I'll just do something else. I'll go study functional medicine. That'll fix that, right? Exactly. Just, just yeah. go do something else. Or you come up to it and you go, well, that's too difficult. I'll never understand that. And you give up. Or you do. It sounds like what you're doing, the obstacle becomes the inquiry itself. Yeah. And it's so fascinating. And it makes so much sense when you look at the world in this way and that the ancients understood this medicine or understood the world and the dynamics of the world so well, and it has so many applications to our world now, I find it incredibly helpful in my life. You said a few minutes ago, you didn't think you were the kind of person for this. What kind of person did you think you were? <laughs> uh, I think I just felt like I was somebody who was not so comfortable in the public sphere and really happy in my, in my little world. I feel like, Oh, my little world of my office where I am the ruler. <laughs> I don't deny that I have some control issues. I'm very happy being my own, you know, in control of my business and how it gets run and all of that. But it was my little sphere and I was very happy there. And I didn't think I, was a particularly a public persona. It's okay. I have I have expanded out. You surprised yourself. I did. I did. Well, you know, it, it, it's funny. I do this podcast. I'm actually a pretty introverted person. I, I have a similar sort of thing. It's like, well, holy smokes, what am I doing on this podcast? This is a very public kind of thing. Yes. But because I have this introverted tendency, because I also spend time with books and thinking and writing and this and that, it somehow helps to balance the internal work by being able to bring it to the outside a bit and, and kind of ping it off the universe and see what comes back. I think that's true. I think that's really, really true. I'm really appreciative of the work that you're doing. I actually did listen to um, to several of your podcasts, but the Feng Shui Lun one with the Francis Turners, that was what lovely. I think 
that it is good for us to kind of take ourselves out. I also feel like somehow at this point in my life, I'm comfortable in myself enough to be able to do this and feel okay, feel good about it. How long have you been practicing? 20 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a similar landmark. Yeah. I suspect after 20 years, it's probably our job to start teaching a little bit. Right, exactly. And so that's, and that's the other aspect is that we need to be stepping up, stepping out. I've organized a lot of small groups, events, that kind of thing. So I kind of know how to do it. And it's really just taking those skills to a bigger level. They're no, they don't change. It's all the same thing. I remember as a kid watching the Ed Sullivan show. Those of you that are old enough will remember that. You're Absolutely. smiling. You remember it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I loved those, uh, those guys that would like spin plates on sticks. I don't know why. Maybe because of the wacky music that went with it. But it's kind of like that. You know, you, you spin one, you learn to spin two, you learn to spin three. The next thing you know, you got, you know, two dozen plates on the Ed Sullivan show. Right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds like, like you said, you, you pour over the books, you have changed your thought over the years, learned lots of stuff from your clinic and from your studies and from our colleagues. I'm curious to know what you've changed your mind about concerning Chinese medicine in the past 10 years. Probably just a little more than 10 years ago, I was very much in the TCM place. And I did, I did that for a good close to 10 years before I kind of realized I wanted to delve deeper. And part of that was motivated by a lot of practitioners in the New York area specializing. And although I had a lot of gynecology in my practice and fertility, I really didn't want to do become another fertility person treating people for IVF. It just that was has was and has been a very big in New York. And it just didn't uh didn't turn your crank. Yeah, exactly. It just didn't yeah. grab me. And I couldn't really think of what I wanted to specialize in. And so I kept asking myself, what do you really love? What do you really love? And I realized it went back from before I started acupuncture school. I studied with an herbalist and I completely fell in love with the herbs. I just realized I just wanted to become the best herbalist I could. And even I'm not a scholar and I really. What are you talking about? You got books all over your desk. What do you mean you're not a scholar? But I'm not. I, I, like, I, don't, I don't think you get to say that. I'm not in terms of going back and translating and all of that. And so and well, being a translator and being a scholar are two different things. Okay. I realized that I wanted to become the best herbalist that I could and that that would mean that I had to really delve into it and really study. And I started going through the Shanghan Lun but line by line and then Stephen Boyenton who you, do you know him? I have heard the name. He's wonderful. He's actually in China now getting a PhD. He's quite brilliant. You know, he has since gotten a PhD in uh, Chinese history focused on medicine from Colombia and then went back to China to get a PhD. 
he put on the PCOM website anyone interested in a study group on the Shanghai Lung. And you jumped in. So we organized that together. So that I delved much deeper into it with that. We were using a lot of case studies. So that was really huge. I went on to study with Yaron Seidman, and then, which sort of was off on another tangent, but really valuable. And then with Sharon Weisenbaum. But I kind of did do the, I went through the Shanghai Lun line by line by myself. I've heard lots of people say, you got to know it line by line. I mean, you need to be familiar. You have to have it kind of in the data bank, so to speak. So when you see something, you can go, wait a minute, I... I think I read something about that. I, I actually had something like this happen a few months ago. I was going through the Function Learn book with a friend of mine. We were going through the chapter on Guajir Tang Cha Guajir. And there was a little note at the very end of it about this is helpful for improper Qigong practices. And I, and I thought, what? I wonder what that would look like. Well, you know, like that day or the next day, someone comes in with all this energy rushing upwards and, and, and she usually doesn't have this problem. Now she's got all this reflux and she can't sleep and she's agitated. And then she tells me about this new meditative practice that she's doing where she brings energy from her belly up into her head and shoots it out the top of her head. And I'm going, holy crap. Good thing I read that line. Wow. Yeah, that would be perfect for that because it's like a running piglet. It's it, it's a it's a type of running piglet. Yes. But again, this one from an improper qigong practice. Yeah, you never know when that these lines might show up and help. You just you just kind of have to do it. I you know I just want to comment for a second. What you said a moment ago, what sort of set you on the path is you asked the question, "What do I really love?" That is a deeply powerful, and I think it can also be a deeply troublesome question because it's a lot easier to ask the question, what can I do to make some money? What can I do to get a practice off the ground? What can I do to be, you know, some kind of successful? What can I do to be accepted? You know, what can I do to be, you know, sort of in the main? I mean, there's all kinds of questions we can ask that can guide our practice in a certain way. But really asking that question, what do I love? And come up with the answer and then be willing to do the work that it takes to get you there. You know, it, that is not the work of a few months or a few years. I mean, that takes decades. It is. It's a decades long process for sure. I feel like I'm in the middle of it. I'm not in the beginning anymore, but I'm certainly, it's got to keep going because there's so much I still don't know. Like you said, you've been at it about 20 years. I've been at it about 20 years too. I thought I would know a whole lot more by now. Yeah. I I really did. I thought I'd know a whole lot more. And at the same time, I have learned more than I could have imagined. I would totally agree. I would just say that also I am that person that I had to do something I loved. I wasn't able to do something for money. It just, you know, for me, that's never going to work. So. And you've managed to pull it off anyway, huh? Yeah. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us a quick rundown here on how people can find the Shenlong Society and, and a little bit about why they'd want to go over and check it out and how they can find you and find out more information about the upcoming conference. 
So if you go to our website, it's the shenongsociety.org. We put out a monthly newsletter. You can join the Shenong Society also, but if you just join our mailing list, you will get the newsletter. And and what if we join the society? That was an issue. We started out being requiring the NCCAOM herb diplomat status in order to become a member. And we got a lot of backlash about that. So we dropped that requirement. We had it in there for a good reason that we wanted to create a network for a referral network for people. But so many of our teachers for various reasons have dropped their diplomat status as well as other members that we decided to to drop it at this point. So as a member, you get a discount to our conference, but we've really kind of dropped the referral network because it's one of our, it's one of the complex issues that has not yet been resolved in our community. Since people get, it's not like a specialty board exam. So we're, it's, people take their board exams when they're in school to get their diplomat status, but not everyone does it because you don't need it state by state. Right. It's complex. It's really complex. So that sort of is an unresolved issue that we have. Okay. Yeah. So if people join, they get, they get a discount to the conference. It sounds like they also get the satisfaction of knowing that they're helping to support an organization that's bringing something helpful and unique to uh, the world of Chinese herbalism. Yes, that's good reason to sign up for that. Absolutely. And we did put out some position papers why it's important to keep your diplomat status because I actually believe that it is important. But it's a complicated issue. We don't have to go into it deeply. Right. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we say goodbye for today? Keep studying and come to the conference. (laughs) Great. Sally, I look forward to seeing you at the conference. All right. I look forward to meeting you in person there. All right, friends, that's it for 2018. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to these podcasts as much as I have enjoyed talking to the various guests and bringing them to you. Be sure to tune in next week for the beginning of 2019. I've got a lot of great stuff in store for you next year. January's first show will be a solo podcast. It is going to be me hanging out with y'alls, giving you a roadmap of some things that you can expect in the coming year. Also, I have had a bit of experience, my own clinical experience with the Sa'am acupuncture method that I've been learning from Toby And I've got a few things that I want to share with you that I think will be helpful in working in your clinic. So tune in next year for that one. And uh, by the way, I went to the mailbox the other day. There was a postcard from Australia. Yeah, all the way Australia. You know, I've had them from Lisbon, recently got one from upstate New York. It's kind of geeky. I know it, but I just love getting those postcards in the mail. I feel connected to you guys that are listening to the show when I get a little picture of where it is that you're listening to Geological from. So keep those cards and letters coming. Happy holidays, y'all. See you next year.